Alright, hey beer nerds, welcome to the 30th episode of Building Breweries. I uh, am taping this portion of the episode on the uh, on December 23rd, so happy Festivus to everybody out there. Um, you know, we've made it this far, so thank you to everybody that has encouraged me along the way, and, and thank you to the people that have kind of really stuck it out from the beginning. I know those initial interviews had some questionable sound quality and were sometimes difficult to understand, so thank you. Um, you know, I had some time off from my day job, so I figured I should uh, go to Asheville, North Carolina, and check out their beer scene because I've always heard such great things about it. And, and let me tell you, I, I am impressed. Uh, the beverage IQ of everybody in that city was just its just so high up there. And, and if you don't know anything about uh, Asheville outside of the, uh, the Biltmore, um, you should just know that there is... You know, if you walk out of a brewery, you can throw a stone in any direction and you're probably going to hit another brewery. It is so saturated. So I'm going to be uh, talking and interviewing uh, the folks over at uh, Wicked Weed and uh, Asheville Brewing Company. Uh, you know, not only will we talk about their own establishments and stories, of course, but we'll also hit on the growth of the Asheville beer scene as a whole and uh, Sierra Nevada and New Belgium's operations that have recently uh, started up there. On the regulatory side, I uh, I had an opportunity to speak with U.S. Senator Ron Wyden regarding a piece of federal legislation, the Craft Beverage Modernization and Tax Reform Act, that will really affect the beverage industry in a huge way. Um, and you know, the senator is from Oregon, so I believe he knows his beer. If you'd like to see a transcription of that interview, uh, you should be able to read it over at the Brewstead. Uh, blog or louisville.am website shortly and uh, as always i'm looking for sponsors for the show so if you'd like to sponsor and uh and you know make these trips and interviews more uh, possible feel free to email me at michael at buildingbreweries.com or uh, you know feel free to tweet me at molar md hanging out here with luke dickinson and wicked weed Asheville, north carolina my first uh interview in uh Asheville. Um, Luke, you're the, the co-founder and, and co-brewer of Wicked Weed. Um, before all this happened, what were you doing? Yeah, so um, I got my start in the brewing industry um, up in Delaware, actually, with uh, Dogfish Head Brewery. Um, so I was living up there, uh, working in the tour program. I wasn't even a brewer up there. But um, uh, while I was working in the tour program, I really just you know, fell in love with the idea of owning my own brewery. Um, and started down the path of, of trying to gain any and all knowledge I could on how to run a brewery restaurant. That's what I really wanted to do. So started, um, started, you know, doing a bunch of home brewing, talking to the brewers up there a lot, uh, and then uh, got a job at a restaurant as well in a management position, trying to learn that side of things. Uh, um, and as the years went on, uh, about three years later, I was working on a business plan to open a brewery and kind of tossing it back and forth with my brother. Walt, who's one of the other um, co-founders and owners here, and he runs the Sour program now. But basically, you know, I was throwing my business plan over to him, and he was like, "Oh, you know that that looks um, it looks pretty cool. What your your idea you got going on? I'm, I mean, I'm kind of kind of tired of what I'm doing. What do you say we join teams and, <laughs> and do this thing together? So that was when it really took off. And then, um, you know, we we kind of ended up looping in our our really good family friends, the Guthies, uh, Rick Guthie, Ryan Guthie, and Denise Guthie. Uh, Rick and Denise um, have been uh, longtime family friends of my dad, and Ryan is about my brother and I's age. So uh, we all joined up and, and uh, you know, started this thing called Wicked Weed. Uh, right before you started, or I guess as you were starting, how did you and your brother kind of balance yourselves out? I mean, 
were as far as the business philosophies yeah. go, I mean, were there any kind of clashes or uh, did it work for a certain so, reason? So I think the best way, I mean, I don't know, there's a million ways to go about describing my <laughs> brother and I and the differences between us. But, you know, probably one of the easiest would be, uh, you know, my brother rock climbs and I play golf. <laughs> so, right. you know, like he is just kind of, he's an adventure man. He's a, a really just a go-getter and... Um, constantly trying to find the new thing the new exciting thing um i'm i'm also a go-getter but i tend to kind of be okay with with taking things a little slower playing golf you know so um (laughs) so uh when we came into this um into opening the brewery we really did balance each other out because i just am i'm much more of a methodical slow moving person that likes to really dig into what the recipe is and all that. And Walt is a much more of a big idea guy. So, uh, as we got going, um, our brewery kind of morphed into two separate breweries. We started as just the one brew pub here in downtown Asheville, um, at 91 Biltmore. And and it's our flagship location. Mm -hmm. We have a 15 barrel brewery, but quickly we started producing sour ales and, um, as we started making more and more sours, that was really what Walt fell in love with. So he kind of transitioned to heading up that program and I head up the non-sour program. So it's kind of worked out nicely. We function as two breweries. We now have four different locations. We have our uh, pub downtown, um, which is, you know, we've got 30 plus beers on tap, the majority of which are non-sour beers, IPAs, fruited ales, stouts, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then we have maybe four or five sour beers and then we have our funkatorium three blocks away that's really that's that's focused on the sour beer it's kind of the opposite we've got 20 plus beers on tap there and only about four or five of them are non-sour the rest are all sour so we'll, we'll, we'll get to the funkatorium here in yeah. a second I was, I was there last night for a little bit it was, nice. it was really fun um when i was reading up on you all i, I found out that um you were, were thinking about originally opening in chattanooga yeah yeah so we kind of, my brother and I had a connection there. Basically, we had a, a guy that um, had a spot. It was in a great shopping center. If anybody's from Chattanooga, it was uh, it's where the the Whole Foods is there, and they've got like a yoga center and a climbing center and all this other stuff. And they wanted um, they wanted a brew pub. So uh, we happened to know the guy, and and he said, you know, hey, I'll you know basically you know, take care of your rent for two years if, if you pick this spot. So that was pretty that's, enticing that's when you're, when you're, you know, 20 something broke kids, you know? So, um, so we started down that track and it really was the Guthies that we brought them over there asking if they wanted to partner with us and be part of the project. And they were like, you know, we poured them some of our beer. They said, look, we love the beer. We love the food. We love the idea. We just don't love Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. But if you guys come to Asheville, we're going to make this thing happen. So it was a no brainer. We jumped on Nashville. That's where my brother and I are from. It's where the Guthies are from. Um, so it was a, an easy transition to come to Asheville. Excellent. Going back to the Funkatorium. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned you had about 20 taps there. I'll- yeah. So, uh, we just added, um, we just added, uh, four more. So I think we're at 22 now. But uh, it's hard to keep track of all the taps it, these days. But <laughs> yeah, it, and it seems like you all were kind of on top of the on the sour program before you know sours mm-hmm. really took off. What what inspired that creativity? So uh, sour beer has always been something we've been enamored with. Um, my brother and I, like I said, we we're both homebrewers back in the day, and uh, Walt really he did a lot of sour beer making. Um, me, not so much. Uh, but as we came into the brewery, we actually um, contract brewed uh, about 
eight months as soon as we got our TTB license. We did a contract brew with another brewery and threw it into barrels. Um, so we had sour beer on tap the day we opened our pub. Um, and that really just set the course. We we were kind of just dipping our toes in the water. We thought sour beer is interesting. It's, it's a different take on beer. Um, and Asheville is just one of those towns that's kind of ahead of the times as far as uh, the palate of the average consumer. Mm-hmm. So people were drinking the hell out of our uh, sour beers. You know, we would put a beer, uh, we only had one keg a week to put on. We'd put the keg on Friday night and it'd be gone by <laughs> Saturday morning. So we knew it was something good and we started investing in that program, trying to build it. Uh, it's difficult to do sour beer because if you do, if you want to do it right, you really have to have two separate breweries to do it. And, and so we've done that ever since day one. We've never brewed sour beer in the same facilities, mm-hmm. non-sour. That makes it kind of difficult, but, um, but it's something we've really enjoyed and, um, you know, now it's a huge focus. We just got finished building out our fourth facility, which is called the Funk House. Huh. Uh, it's a 45-barrel brew system that we put in there, uh, 60,000-square-foot building, 100% sour beer only. Hmm. Um, so we're producing all of our sour beer. We actually just started yesterday producing beer out there, so it's pretty exciting for us. I mean, the, the popularity, of, popularity of sours are obviously pretty great now. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you host an invitational every year now, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, hosting all different types of wild, wilds and sours and get people come from across the country and showcase their their beers. Um, how many how many breweries usually come out to those? So last year, I think we had 45. Um, and, you know, the sour beer community so the brew community or the brewing community in itself is is already a pretty small community it's a pretty tight community mm-hmm. um getting bigger all the time of course but sour is almost like a little community inside of that little community so uh, <laughs> all of the sour producers in the country um i mean we're on we're on a first name basis with almost all of them uh call each other all the time everybody's helping each other out as far as ideas when it comes to that stuff so um that funkatorium invitational is it's a really awesome event. We have uh, everything about it is kind of just really high end, and it's we we focus it more not more but but equally on the brewer's experience as the patron's experience, um, which is why we really love doing it. So it's a great opportunity for us to come get all these brewers in town, host them for the weekend. This last year we we took all this all the brewers that came uh, on a float down the river. Hmm. And if you're from Asheville, you know what I'm talking about. But the French Broad River goes through town, and and basically it's a, a good reason to you know get on an inner tube and sit for three or four hours and drink <laughs> beer. So uh, we did that with 45 uh, different breweries last year. It was a blast. That's fun. So, yeah. Um, well, you mentioned that Asheville's kind of ahead of the curb as far as the palate goes. Where do you see, where does, um, where does Wicked Weed see the, the sour niche going countrywide? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think that, you know, our investment that we've put into these facilities kind of speaks to where we, we see it going. Um, you know, right now, um, sour beer is making up a very small percentage, you know, one or two percent of the total volume of craft beer sold. We really think that it probably is going to get up to where that craft or sour beer is representing maybe 10% of total uh, volume of craft beer, which is a huge amount when you think about it. Um, I don't think that sour beer is ever going to be the IPA. You know, it'll never be that. But um, I shouldn't say never, but I don't think it will most likely. But I think that it will be something that you start to see, you know, everywhere you go, but it's going to be more like, uh, how you find boutique wines, um, Hmm. on a wine list, you know, that it really is like the, the next level of craft beer. And, um, you know, it's something that a bottle of our sour beer is going to be $15. 
You know, it takes us 12 to 16 months to make a batch of sour beer. So mm -hmm. it's really mimicking that of wine as far as pricing. So with that, you know, you just, it's really hard to see the, the $12 six pack or $10 six yeah. pack, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. but uh, the quasi sour styles like Goza, um, Goza has become vastly popular now. I think that, that has a lot of legs to it. And it's a great gateway mm -hmm. to sour beer. It's not a true sour beer. It's using, um, kettle souring or lacto lactobacillus to sour the beer. Uh, and you can do that within a few weeks. Um, but it's a great way to kind of let people see if they like that tart it's, flavor. It's definitely a gateway. I mean, I yeah. think, um, as, didn't really like sours a year ago. Then I started drinking more of Anderson Valley type mm -hmm. gozas, yep. and then Gateway. Here I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying Angel of uh, Angel of Darkness. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, the, I mean, in, in like you said, it, it mimics wine. Even even the glassware, it's it's different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, if you if you end up coming to our Funkatorium, um, you were there last night. But anybody else, you'll see we actually serve a lot of our sour beer in a wine glass. Yeah. Um, and you're right, the glassware, it, all, everything about it, it just it kind of speaks to a a slightly more elegant uh, way of drinking beer. You but, know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, going back as, as a whole as Wicked Weed and, and all four of your breweries, I guess, what, what's currently challenging you know, as a business? Yeah, well, the, the biggest challenge for us over the last year um, has just been uh, keeping up. Craft beer is growing just like crazy right now everywhere in the country. Um, so for us in the four years that we've been open... Um, you know, we started out thinking, okay, if we do, if we have a great year, our first year, we might brew a thousand barrels of beer. We ended up doing almost 3000 barrels <laughs> of beer our first year. Uh, the second year we did 6,000. The third year we did 9,000. This year we're going to do 22,000 barrels. So it's been a, just a wild ride going up in that direction. And so the biggest challenge is really keeping up. Um, it's a very capital intensive business. Um, so on the business side, it's just it's just making sure you have enough money to buy more tanks, really. <laughs> um, so you know, um, other than that, you know, we've we've been in a really lucky spot to uh, quickly become known nationally as a, as a brewery that's making great beer. Um, we're in a city that loves to drink beer, um, so we've got a lot of things going for us. Um, and and really, all we have to do is keep making the product taste delicious. Yeah. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that North Carolina has a cap on production for self-distributing breweries. I think at twenty-five thousand barrels or something like That's that. That's right. Yeah, twenty-four thousand nine ninety-nine. So, um, right. So we actually, uh, when we first started distributing beer, um, we were self-distributing, and we did that for uh, actually until the spring of this year of 2016. Um, and we stopped self-distributing when we were on a pace of about, uh, we were probably on 18,000 barrel a year pace. So we could have actually all year this year still self-distributed. So yeah. um, it's a huge logistic challenge. Um, so there are some breweries in North Carolina that, that do self-distribute that are sitting right at that cap and they aren't growing past that. So and that is and a, do you think that they, they sit there on purpose? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know for sure they do. I've, you know, talking to the guys there, <laughs> they, they're hoping that the, um, the bill does get changed and I think it will at some point. But, um, for us, you know, we, we saw, um, we just saw that the opportunity to work with distributors, um, was really much greater than the, the slight financial gain of, self-distribution so like you said it was a, a logistics decision 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, at the end of the day, we make beer. We're not a logistics company, <laughs> you know, not UPS. Uh, or, and yeah. we, we were doing it. We were doing it. I mean, we had, you know, four trucks and, and we were running trucks all over the, the state. But man, it, it is a, it's a headache. I'll tell you what. What, uh, what have been some wow moments for you personally since opening? Hmm. So I'd say um, there's been a few. Um, one was probably my favorite that has just stuck with me. It was actually the day we opened. Um, you know, we'd worked for about nine months building out our, our brewery here. We did a full renovation on the building that we're in. Um, we were set, ready to go. We had 17 beers on tap the day we opened. Uh, and my brother and I, as we opened the doors, we went down into the cooler. Uh, and we run our draft system off of pumps because we're running up two different floors. So the beer gets pumped up. And every time uh, every time the beer gets pumped, it means that they're opening a tap. So every time that a beer is poured, you hear this click, click, click. <laughs> and that's the pump sort of going so um so every every time you hear a click there's a beer being poured and my brother and i were standing in the cooler and it was just like this symphony of clicks going on oh, that's awesome. uh and i'll never forget that moment because it was just it was just the moment where i was standing there and we looked at each other and we and it was just this we did it moment you know uh, and that was that was probably the even though it was the first day of this whole thing, that is what really sticks out to me. And I try to remember that, you know, it's every day I get to come in here and watch people drink something that, that I've made. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's nothing better than that. Yeah. It's, it's spawning creativity in others as well. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, you have, you have a restaurant here, right? Yeah. How important is uh, pairing food and beer to you? Well, it depends on, um, there's a couple ways to answer that. I mean, it's, it, as far as a specific beer to a specific dish, I don't, I don't know how important that is. You know, I don't know if there are de uh, definitive rules mm -hmm. like in the wine industry where that, you know, you know, you don't have uh, red wine with white fish and stuff like sure. that. I don't, I think that beer is much looser than that. I think there's so many different flavors. Um, but with that, I definitely think there's a, a great opportunity to, to pair um, beer with food. When you look at it, uh, wine is known as the great pair of mm -hmm. food. There's, there's tons of different grape varietals, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's grapes. That's it. You know, that's what you're making wine right. with. And there is huge complexity to wine, but with beer, we have a, you know, not just the four main ingredients of beer, but, but anything else in the world, you know, we've made beers with currants and, uh, we make beers with coconut and we make beers with raspberries and blueberries and, you know, spices, ginger, all this stuff. And, um, that, that sort of lends itself to, uh, the ability to pair beers really uniquely, not just based on color, but flavor profiles. And, um, so, you know, we don't put a huge strain we don't have on our menu, you know, pair this with this, but um, we do educate our staff a ton so that they can help our guests kind of uh, make that decision well. Is there anybody or rather any brewery that influences you or, or has influenced you along the way, kind of, um, you know, beverage industry hero or something like mm -hmm. that? Definitely. Um, if you ask my brother, he's probably got different ones. I know we have one in common. It's Russian River Brewing. Hmm. Uh, Vinny Chalurzo and Natalie Chalurzo out there. Um, they're two of uh, my brother and I's heroes. Uh, they are doing fantastic hoppy beers and really incredible sour beer. Um, and their brewery that when we got going, we really um, modeled ourselves after as kind of that was the 
the the holy grail of if we can <laughs> if we can be the Russian River of the East Coast, you know that would be the goal. Uh, so that's one a dogfish head. Mm-hmm. Personally, I've always looked up to Dogfish Head Sam Kalajian up there, uh, working for him, getting to know him, um, the way they approach their business, the way they approach their beer. I, I've always loved loved what they do. Um, you know, there's the list could go on for a while, but those are probably my, probably my top two that I have consistently looked up to. Excellent. Uh, you're coming up on your fourth anniversary, I believe, right after Christmas. Yeah, next next Wednesday, the twenty eighth. Twenty eighth. Do yep. you have any special events planned, or you know, events in general that you'd like people to know about? Sure. Yeah. So we, um, for our anniversary, we don't do like a huge blowout, um, but we do every year. We brew a beer specifically for our fourth anniversary. This year, it's a triple IPA. Um, I think it came out at at something like fourteen percent alcohol this year, mm-hmm. uh, but it's uh, it's got three different dry hops on it. Um, we, we used four different fruits, four different malts, four different hops for our fourth year anniversary. So, hmm. um, it's got pineapple, pink guava, um, it's got, uh, mango and I'm spacing on the last one, leche, leche. So, um, a really cool beer. Uh, so we've got that on tap and then we've, uh, we set aside throughout the year, lots of vintage beers, uh, that we'll bring on tap for the day. So we'll, we'll set up a jockey box downstairs that'll have an additional seven beers that, um, will just be on tap for the one day and super rare beers. We'll have a couple of the angels from our sour series on tap, as well as some of our barrel aged beers that we've done throughout the year. One last question, then I'll let you go. I know you're pretty busy today, but, um, why were you so influenced by the Henry VIII quote? Yeah, so, it, you know... Um, and, and what I'm referring to is, is, our name. is your namesake, yes. Yeah, so um, Wicked Weed, we got our name from King Henry VIII. He was quoted um, back in the 1500s saying um, that hops were the wicked and pernicious weed. Uh, and then the, the statement goes on to say that that was ruining beer. <laughs> so he was he was basically against using hops in beer, not because he didn't like the flavor, maybe he didn't, but it was more so um, because he had a vested interest in other crops. Um, and we fell in love with the, the idea of that name because it kind of speaks to what the craft beer industry has done. 1978, there was 39 craft beers in the country. Today, there's 5,000 plus. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1,500, hops almost got outlawed. And now the most popular beer in the country, uh, debatably in the world, is IPA. Mm-hmm. So hops have made this great comeback it's just a, like it's, craft it's a wicked, beer It's has. a wicked weed. So that's it. All right. Thank you so much for having me today and, and Thanks, spend man. some time. Yeah, appreciate it. All Cheers. Right. Merry Christmas. I'm happy to be joined now by Mike Rangel and Doug Riley. Guys, thank you so much for uh, for agreeing to meet me today. I know it's a big, busy uh, holiday week, uh, so I appreciate the time. Absolutely. Glad no to be here. So, hey, uh, I, I planned on coming to Asheville a, little, you know, a couple months ago, and I was speaking with uh, Sam Cruz from Against the Grain in Louisville, and, and he's told me that I had to come here and if possible, I had to try to interview you if you were free to. Um, and so here we are. I mean, he stressed that it was uh, very important. Oh, um, cool. He, Thanks, Sam. I think his original words were, it's so much more than a pizzeria. <laughs> um, and I see that. There, there's there's a lot of different uh, beers going on here. There's a lot on tap. And, and you've been here for a while, right, Mike? Yes. Uh, at this location, we're going on 11 years. And then uh, as a brewery in Asheville, uh, we're at 18 years. Okay, yeah. So you are just about reaching 20 years in Asheville as a brewery. Yeah. Um, can you all, Doug, Doug as well, kind of just discuss for a moment um, a little bit about the changes that Asheville has gone through that you've personally seen as far as the beverage industry goes? Well, how long How long do we have? 
Well, we've grown uh, from when we opened. We were neck and neck with the the second brewery that opened. We were close, uh, close second, but third. And now um, <clears throat> we've got eight breweries, you know, within three blocks of us. And um, I, I, I don't even know. 46 in Buncombe 40. County. <laughs> and you yourself, you, you have, you said, three or four locations. Uh, we've, we've got two, two locations that serve, that are that serve. Brewery, and then yeah. you have the production. And, we ha- well. and then we have a, uh, a pizza delivery, uh, beer delivery location uh, down south. Ah, uh, okay. Um, well, regardless, in, in, my, in my research of this place, I saw that you had a, an arcade room in one of them, a, yes. a movie theater. Yes. Um, what kind of movies are you showing? Uh, we do second-run movies. Uh, right now we're showing um, Masterminds, which was actually the, uh, the Zach Galifianakis movies filmed <laughs> in Asheville. And then we're showing um, uh, Sausage Party. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's a three dollar movie theater, so it's a uh, it's second run, okay. second run movies. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's so much that we could talk about, um, as and still not cover the last twenty years of, of your business and yourself here. But can you just tell me a little bit um, about yourself uh, briefly uh, for for both of you, your pre brewery experience and, and how this came about? Sure, I, I'll uh, I'll start and pass it off here to Doug. But I was I I grew up in, in Kentucky and went to. In Lexington, and um, at a time when things were just kind of like there was just beer, didn't really have different kinds of beers and that sort of stuff. And so, I was always more of a pizza guy. And so, I moved to Asheville to open up a pizzeria. And at that time, I was looking for um, a sit-down place. We had a we had a delivery-only location, and there was a spot down the road that um, was kind of struggling, was making great beer. Um, but was being kind of not run so well. And so uh, we actually united forces, Doug on the beer side and me on the pizza side. Um, and I'll let Doug take it away, but from, from there it just has just exploded. And I grew up uh, in North Alabama, a little town called Muscle Shoals, and um, went uh, after high school, did a little bit of college, and then headed out west to... Uh, find my way end up uh working in a brewery in portland oregon for four years and then uh answered an article in the paper for a brewery in Asheville. i uh, got the job came here and then about a year later um met up with mike and we ended up uh purchasing what was then two moons brewing view why do you believe that Asheville Brewing Company has seen so much success in the last 20 years, especially amongst, you know, in the last 10 years or so, or five years, whatever, the, the craft beer boom, your continued success. What do you credit that to? I think a lot of it has to go to the city of Asheville itself. This is kind of a, a, a magical, little, very supportive, kind of a BYOJ town. I mean, bring your own job. So people go out of their way to support um, startups and and independent restaurants and independent breweries and so uh it's created a very supportive very cool uh community the uh the foodie movement was very big here and i think once people started uh uh really noticing what they were putting in their bodies and you know farm to table and all that sort of stuff going to what what you drink as being the best possible thing is was the next step and so um, I, I think that that we were we were in the right place at the right time, 
and, and the beer that, that Doug makes and the beer we continue to make is, is really, really good. The, the aquifer here that, that we get all our water from is outstanding. It's a, about the best in the world. Um, and that's why in the, in the last 15 years, uh, Sierra Nevada, New Belgium, Oscar Blues, uh, almost the shoots have all, have all uh, come to Asheville. Yes, similar to uh, to Louisville, at least the limestone plays a huge part in, in our own water system, and I believe that's the same here. In, in Absolutely, Africa, right? yeah. Limestone keeps keeps the chemicals from going in and keeps the water. So, so there's there's clearly a, a natural element of why breweries are successful here. As far as how it ties into tourism and breweries and all that, do you do you believe the tourism came first and then the breweries, or the other way around? Definitely the tourism came first here. That we have the, the advantage of the the Biltmore House uh, has been a, has been a, a, a you know the top ten American attraction for decades, um, and then I think after that the uh, the the restaurants came in and along with the pottery and the artisan artisanal craft movement, um, and so I think all those folks um, started uh, helped helped create this this uh, community where craft beer was you know this is and i think too that environmentally people just stopped drinking nine beers when they went out to a bar <laughs> they could only drink two beers so you might as well get the best possible you know freshly made um and as close to possible from where you're buying it yeah uh so we, we discussed the the natural incentives are there any economical incentives tax incentives for opening up a business in in Asheville? Not on. There wasn't when we when we started. Um, you know, now if you're a big guy, there's definitely uh, you know, as, as you saw with Deschutes, they they had North Carolina and Georgia and Virginia all bidding and and raising the stakes on how much they would incentives they would give them, and it's just good business um, to 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 do that. It's good for the for the state to attract those folks, and you know, since New Belgium and Sierra Nevada have come in here, we've seen nothing but more people you know coming through the doors and and they they definitely hit the big guys but they also you know it's like a beer mecca now mm-hmm. um the the cluster effect it's it's like you know louisville uh has has some great breweries now um and lexington is 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 finally yeah, you know, yeah starting to, you know, yeah and i think that's that's going to be that's where you know i think neighborhood pubs are going to fade away and neighborhood breweries are going to be the norm you know the fact that we can uh, a, a town of sixty something thousand can support forty plus breweries. It's is, it's so saturated. It's it, it's unbelievable. It is. it is so you know, but it makes everybody make a great beer. If you're not making a great beer, then get you, out. You can get out. You know uh, exactly. It's just like all all these restaurants in New York City that open up, and each one is better than the one before. They're all you know fantastic, and so the consumer wins. Yeah. You know, you, there's there's two hundred fresh beers. Within a you know a mile and a half of us, um, maybe or maybe three miles, but you know that and and a lot of them are, are they come up once and they, they won't be made again. So it's it's neat. So so has Sierra Nevada and New Belgium been fair, like welcomed pretty well then? Yes, there was some trepidation. I mean the you know eight hundred pound gorilla <laughs> comes into your neighborhood and stuff, but um, and I would specifically say uh, Sierra Nevada has has been. Uh, on every level, the the absolute nicest, uh, most most uh, gosh, easiest to work with. The, you know, the most uh, thinking about as far as remembering what it was like to be a small craft brewery 
and everything like that and going out of their way to make the little guys feel um, like they've got a voice and stuff like that and New Belgium and Oscar Blues have also been awesome as Sierra Nevada has almost has, has perfected um, the way they do the, their diplomacy with small breweries sure so so have you um, have you all been influenced by uh, the, the way you know influenced by New Belgium or Sierra Nevada yourself um well, um, <clears throat> in the past, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I lived in uh, Colorado, I started drinking New Belgian beers uh, when they were still being made in their basement. Um, and in Sierra, I've always been drinking Sierra Nevada beers. Mm-hmm. And I would just have to say, definitely for when um, that all the breweries, all the big black guys have. Uh, welcomed us, offered us their labs. Um, we go and um, have them test stuff for us uh, quite often, and it's uh, they've just been really great uh, neighbors. What is currently challenging Asheville Brewing Company? Um, uh, we're pretty much maxed out uh, production-wise, um, so we're um, we're selling as much beer as we can make. Yeah, I think that's the question right now, and that each each small brewery faces where right now the the problem is we can't keep up with the demand. So do we expand, and all of a sudden we have more beer? You know, everyone's sort of expanding right now, so it's a great problem to have. You know, and and um, we're we're in the most competitive brewing community in the world, uh, and and being where we are right now in Cox Avenue with the South Slope with Wicked Weed two wicked weeds within a half mile of us and and other kick-ass breweries like uh, burial right around the corner and high wire and you know uh, and, and even guys like the the newer guys like twin leaf and bramari all have you know everyone's everyone's being creative and stuff like that so um i think all of our problems are, are good problems to have just the, how do how do we continue to be cutting edge at the same time taking care of people that have you know our shiva is our flagship beer um and we've been making that for basically 17 years you know there's people that are like that's my dad's beer at the same time we want to continue to be we want to experiment with you know the west coast ipas and, and we make we make uh, black ipas and stuff like that too we want to remain true to the old guys but we also want to stay cutting edge you know, this year we've probably made 50 uh, new beers that we hadn't made before um, and so that's some kind of a change for us rather than making the same 12 to 15 most of the time we're really trying to push push the envelope and, and challenge our brewers um, and and you need to in this town because people want to be challenged people you know, the, the beer IQ of the average Asheville resident is pretty high um, you know everybody in this town knows what a what the ABV and IBU and, and you know all that sort of stuff is um, and I found that in Louisville too. I think people are getting, are becoming more craft beer focused and, and aware. Yeah. You know. No, I, I agree. It's definitely becoming a more beer conscious city. You know, it, sometimes in in the news, especially on social media and, and Facebook and everything, you'll hear about a new brewery opening, and then in the comments section, there's all these people. Oh, we ha- we have enough breweries already. We don't need any more. <laughs> yeah. And then, then I come to a place like Asheville, where. I can walk two blocks and encounter just as many breweries that Louisville has in its entire metropolitan area. Yeah, it's it's incredible, uh, and I think we're a long way um, off from being to this level. Uh, but I'm hopeful that we get to it someday. Yeah. So let's say I want to open up a brewery in Asheville. No, 
no. Uh, yeah, but I mean, besides ha- besides having a good product, what do I need to have for success? Gosh, uh, you have to have a thick skin. You have to have a, a very very clear defined um, personality and and uh, profile. I think you know if you you can't just come out and say I'm going to make a couple of pails and a couple IPAs and a couple of porters. Um, you know, you, you, you know, and I think now you have to specialize, um, and you, you, your, uh, your margin for error is almost non-existent uh, because it used to be if you were the third or fourth brewery in a small town, you might have a couple of bad batches, and you got to find your you find your way and you know nail down your recipes and all that sort of stuff. Here, if you come out and it's not a good beer. You're all of a sudden. There's 44 more breweries for them to try before they decide to come back <laughs> around. Um, so it's a it's 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 good and it's bad. It, you know, it keeps it keeps the posers from from you know popping out and and there there is still a bubble. At some point, there'll be a you know where people people won't won't be able to support as many breweries as people want to put out here. Um, so again, that that means that the best are gonna are gonna rise to the top. And the people that you know that that are smart and are good business people, and you know, um, so it, but bring it, you know, bring it. If, yeah, <laughs> um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but um, just wondering, are there any events or anything special th- things going on that you'd like people to know about that are coming up? Uh, let's see, we're doing a uh, beer release with Deschutes uh, in uh, last last uh, Saturday in January. Um, and then we've just got a like a, a 2017. We we plan on on pushing our, our perfect day and, and bringing out a couple more seasonals. Uh, we have a 828 pale uh, that we're really excited about bringing out that we've been working on the recipe for a couple of years. Um, so that that should be coming out the springtime. Mike, Doug, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with me today and letting me find out more about Asheville Brewing Company. Thank you. Thank you very much. Come visit us. I'm now joined by Senator Ron Wyden from Oregon. I wanted to talk to you a little bit today, Senator, about the uh, Craft Beverage Modernization and Tax Reform Act, a uh, piece of legislation that you introduced back in 2015, I believe. So before we get into the the details about it, can you just kind of sum it up for us a little bit? What I can tell you is that at a time when there have been such extraordinary growth in terms of beer and wine and cider and spirits that laws just haven't kept up with the times. And what a big bipartisan group of us really sought to do is to kind of update the law and come up with realistic excise tax proposals for uh, brewers so they could invest more in their businesses and reduce the burdens for vintners and cider makers and distillers. And my sense is that there is a growing recognition of just how many jobs are produced in our state. We have grapes, we have hops, we have manufacturers who make the equipment. This has been a big shot in the arm for us economically, 60,000 jobs. Yeah, I think during my research here, I read that you know, more than 40% of um, what American beer drinkers pay for in a beer goes towards all sorts of different taxes, whether it's federal, you know, state, local, regular kind of business taxes, consumption and sales taxes. And I think uh, the Beer Institute quipped that, you know, that makes it taxes the most expensive beer ingredient that there is. That's right. And I think that if you look 
on some of this stuff almost seems to come from prohibition days. I mean, we're not senators supposed to represent speaking deeds. We're supposed to represent our communities, and that's what we're seeking to do with this bill. So you introduced, like I said, this bill back in 2015, and you had some co-sponsors on it originally. It's, it's picking up a lot more now. Who did you first introduce the bill with? I introduced the bill myself, and uh, Senator Blunt uh, you know, joined on from Missouri. We have a good bipartisan group in, uh, in the House. Now we're at 52 Senate co-sponsors, 287 uh, uh, the House of Representatives. So there's a lot of collaboration here, and there's been a, a few different revisions that I read that was going on. For example, I, I spoke with the uh, Kentucky Distillers Association, and um, for a while there, that they supported all aspects of it except for home distillation, for example, and that was eventually solved, I guess. Have you seen any kind of other kind of pushback, though, similar to that? We really haven't. I mean, the rules in this area are just ancient, and when you got such a mess of a tax code, you know, alcohol, excise taxes, and regulations struck all sides. It's a particularly bizarre, you know, case. And the policies just haven't kept up with the extraordinary growth of our craft beverage industry. A decade ago, there were 1,400 breweries in the United States. Now there's 3,400. And it's time to update the tax code to reflect this new reality and make sure that outdated rules don't stand in the way of Oregon and American jobs. Now, you've actually been, you've personally been a part of many different legislative efforts to improve the beverage industry. For example, I think you were involved with the Small Brew Act. Now you're involved with the Craft Beverage Modernization and Tax Reform Act. What inspired you to get involved with these kinds of issues? What really did it for me was the dramatic changes in the Oregon economy. I was working for the Senator elected in 1996 and essentially three decades. And the state had always been about forest products. I made it clear that I was going to be a very strong advocate to the forest products uh, sector, increasing the harvest in a sustainable way, protecting our treasures. And we had to get into some new areas. And this is one of the ones that really came to mind because of the economic potential. Yeah, absolutely. Now, to actually get into the specifics of the bill itself, or at least some of the specifics, how exactly will they help out the, you know, the common brewer, maybe the brew pub down the street? Well, it's essentially what it does if you're cutting small brewer rates, you know, we're creating more revenue for that small brewer who can plow that money back in growing their business. And for the brewer, we simplify beer formulation, label approval, like common beer ingredients, it's very lengthy approval process. We increase collaboration between brewers by removing restrictions on tax-free transfers of beer. We're peeling unnecessary inventory instructions. But you know, the bottom line is to cut the rates so that the small brewer can plow that money back into growing a business and creating more jobs. And they're pretty significant rates that you're cutting. I think for the first 60,000 barrels for, you know, domestic breweries, it used to be, you know, $7 a barrel for tax, but now it's going down, you know, by 50% down to three fifty per barrel. And that is significant money that, that, that they can that, reinvest. That's right. You produce less than two, 2 million barrels. Your rate goes from 7 to three three fifty. dollars provide a $16 rate on the first 6 million barrels. Production above that amount, subject to more. But the bottom line is that this ought to trigger a lot of investment and a lot of growth, and that's what we're trying to do. 
That's exactly right. So you're involved with all of these uh, different efforts for the beverage industry. Do you have a vision of what you'd like to see the beverage industry be like in about you know 30 years or so from now? I do. I mean, I think when you look, and particularly our part of the country, the West, you're going to see a tremendous amount of growth in terms of recreation, people getting out outdoors. I recently introduced another piece of legislation called the R&R Bill, the Recreation Not Red Tape Bill. Hmm. The reality is the recreation day doesn't end at 6 o'clock. People go inside to relax, so enjoy a good dinner, and enjoy beer and wine, and that insider, but I really see looking down the road as this being part of a incredibly vital, growing economic sector that will link such matters as recreation and small business and hospitality and the outdoors be a big gap between premium to quality of life. You know, I imagine you're fairly busy and your days don't exactly end at six o'clock in like the example that you just used. But when you do get a chance to kind of, you know, sit down and relax for a little bit for some R&R, what do you like to enjoy? Do you have a favorite, you know, beer style or maybe favorite breweries? We've got an old saying that you don't want to pick out a favorite because you only kind of kick off you know, some, <laughs> some, of your, some of your friends. But what we've always said is, look... The federal agencies in the past haven't always got it correct. I mean, they've not kept up with times. One point uh, I said in comment on a political ad this year, I think sometimes these federal agencies have had one too many. And so what I want to do is make sure for our hikers, our skiers, and all the folks who are coming to enjoy a brew pub after a great day outdoors, after a day enjoying everything Oregon in our country has, has to offer. You know, this industry is able to look to offer um, everything that, that, that its, its potential allows. More than fair. Do you ever personally see the age restriction going down in the United States from 21 to 18 to legally consume? I want to think some more with respect to the age you know, criteria. That, that, of course, involves consultation with public health authorities and, uh, and others. And uh, right now we're trying to get the stats bill passed and then we'll go from there. Absolutely. Senator, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me a little bit more about this and to shed some light on some details. You know, it it got me to reading more about the subject and thinking more about the breweries that are local to me that I can support and try to, you know, make them to reinvest in their own brewery, which therefore is, you know, reinvest back into the community itself. So it's personally, you know, been very enlightening for me. Well, listen, thanks so much. Appreciate all your interest. Take care now. All right. Take care.